radio's greatest hits of today and yesterday. Where you hear radio the way it used to be, it's all right here on aircheck.com. And the exact dosage every time. For immediate relief that lasts, get the new Duration 12-hour metered nasal spray pump with the exact dosage every time. Duration is only as directed. And that will bring to the plate Ricky Henderson, who grounded out the third his first time. Kansas City and Cleveland are scoreless at the end of two. Renko is working against Sorensen. Minnesota will be at Milwaukee, and Detroit is at Seattle. Henderson checking with Boyer, the coach at third. Brown sets and throws. Ricky looking like he might bunt. Takes ball one. Cincinnati and Philadelphia, 1-1 at the end of four on home runs by Milner of the Reds and Diaz of the Phils. Pastore against Gropes. Here it comes, strike called in there at the knees, one and one. Montreal and Atlanta, no score at the end of two. Barger and Daly pitching in that one. The other games uh, will be later in the National League. Here it comes, and there's a line drive into left field for a base hit. Henderson is on, and he goes to second. This is an ordinary game. Not a World Series game or a playoff game. Nothing spectacular happened. As you can hear, Henderson still with Oakland. Mike Brown pitching for the Boston Red Sox. Ken Coleman is looking at the scoreboard. Pittsburgh and San Diego and New York and Houston to round out the schedule for you in both leagues. Now Ricky Peters, who had a walk in the first inning. Stapleton is playing in, and Boggs is even. Uh, they're looking for the bunch possibility here. Do radio and television announcers look at the scoreboard in Oslo? Stockholm, Munich, Paris, Moscow. No. But they do. In Detroit, in Boston, in Seattle, Los Angeles. A look at the scoreboard. That's just thrilling to think about. A, a scoreboard. You're in a car, a woman is speaking. A look at the scoreboard. You say to the speaking woman, Hey, hold on a minute, will you? Trying desperately to salvage the rest of the day, because if you just say in slightly the wrong way, Hold on a minute, will you hear? If you just say it with too much energy, you can destroy, this, destroy the psychology of the rest of the day and put you at odds, maybe for as many as 18 hours. Just the way you say, Hold on a minute, will you? If you say, Hold on just a second. I've been able to affect a little chuckle. <laughs> Hold on just a second, will you? I think you can just ride through it, then you'll be okay for the afternoon. But if you say, Hold on a minute, will you? I mean, you're in trouble deep. You get good speed on the bases right here. He runs pretty well for a catcher, Ken. I, yeah, I think does. you mentioned that yesterday. He sure does. Here's the 3-1. Way outside, ball four, and the bases are loaded with nobody out. Boston has the lead, but Oakland has a threat going here. He's on the third base. Henderson is at second, and Peter's on at first, and Murphy is up. He hit into a 3-6-3 double play in the first inning. 
Sunday, 1988, the 18th annual Salute to Baseball. Game tied, 6-6, Darcy pitching. Fisk takes high and inside, ball one. Freddie Lynn on deck. There have been numerous heroics tonight, both sides. The 1-0 delivery to Fisk. He swings, long drive, left field. If it stays fair, it's gone. Home run, the Red Sox win. The series is tied three games apiece. Carlton Fisk hit a one-nothing pitch. They're jamming out on the field. His teammates are waiting for him. The ball hit the foul pole, and the Red Sox have sent the World Series into Game Seven with a dramatic seven-to-six victory. What a game! This is one of the greatest World Series games of all time. Carlton Fisk's famous home run, of course, but it wouldn't have been possible without Bernie Carbo. 
and no one ever hears about Bernie Carbo. The eighth inning pinch hit home run that tied the game. Have you ever heard the call on that? Two balls, two strikes. The pitch. Carbo hits a high drive. Deep center. Way back. Home run! up in the center field bleachers. It came with two outs and a count two and two. And the Red Sox have tied it six to six. You never hear that one. Remember the pitch before? Carbo all but struck out. Just all but struck out. There are those who turned it off feeling that he struck out who've never heard... Well, that's far-fetched. Bobby Thompson's home run, of course, is a, a major baseball miracle, and uh, it's become a metaphor within the extreme metaphor that is baseball. We've all heard Russ Hodges, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant. But do you know there were other guys on the air at the time? Obviously, Red Barber back to Brooklyn. But you know who was covering the game all over the world? Mutual. The Mutual Radio Network it is no more. Did you know that? There's not been enough coverage of that. That's a major American event, the end of the Mutual Radio Network. It's now NBC, owned by Westwood, a guy named Norm Pattis. In any event, Mutual was on the air. What I've dug out is their description of Bobby Thompson's home run. I've never played this for you before. This is the dark side of the moon. You know what this is like? This is like finding a photograph taken from the bleachers in the polo grounds of Willie Mays' catch-off Vic Wirtz in 1954. Just a snapshot. As we, as we see in the picture, Mays rushing toward the camera rather than away. The dark side of the moon. This is the mutual description. Maybe some of you or one of you could help me out. The announcer is, I, I, I believe, in the excitement, and this is not perfect quality here, but if you lean close to your radio, you'll be able to pick all of it up. I believe the guy's name is Ray. I've talked to a lot of other announcers who are unable to tell me who was on uh, Mutual that day. My guess is that Al Helfer had something to do with it, because he functioned, a guy named Al Helfer, heavyset guy. But there's a guy named Ray, I, I think, but more important, there's a guy named Thompson. Giant runners at second and third, but one down, and the long ball hitting Bobby Thompson and Willie Mays coming up. Heroic, Connorous crew talked beyond recall as they went into the last half of the ninth inning. Soft, irrecoverable. Have come up off the fourth inning. Newcomb is surrounded by Dressel, Robinson, Hodges, Walker, Reese, Cox. Mueller is taken back into the dugout on a stretcher. Floppy Hartung, with amazing alacrity and speed for a man of his size, will run. Newcomb hasn't had it for this afternoon. He'll get a kick and a soap and a towel for the last time in the regular National League season with Ralph Branca. Trudging on, making a long, dramatic, memorable, history-making walk from the left field Dodger bullpen as Newcomb will go on. 
saturated with two New York Giants. At second, Rockman with a single down the left field line. At third, Hartshorn, Ralph Franker from Mount Vernon, New York, 21 game winner in 1947. University graduate is going on the mound to throw for the Brooklyn and try to turn the Giants back here at the door of disaster in the last half of the ninth inning. Ralph Franker throwing. Ralph victory record 13 and 11. This is Newcomb's game still to win. The runner at second, a tying runner, is his responsibility. Should he win, it'll be 21 and 9. It's Magley's game, obviously, to lose. His record would be.
of that event that uh, I'll bet you've never heard. That's Mutual, Mutual Radio Network, as opposed to the famous Russ Hodges call. WNEW in New York. Whew, that's something, isn't it? From a different angle, from a different camera angle. The sounds and music of the greatest game ever invented. The 18th Annual. Salute to Baseball on WNEW in New York. Here is a song about baseball. I mean, this is baseball as sexual metaphor. It is just really a wonderful and intelligent song written by a guy named Michael Franks and sung by a woman named Sue Rainey.
WNEW in New York. Pitchers and catchers report in 17 days. There's so much about baseball uh, that might be considered peripheral to the game, which activates the heart in a very generous way. Box scores, of course. Roger Angel, who's easily our, our best baseball writer, just parenthetically, you know, there's so many people associated with Angel, with Roger Angel, in the baseball world who have no idea that he's one of the most important literary figures in the world. He's the fiction editor of The New Yorker. But he wanders through the baseball world, and everyone is oblivious. They just think he's a, a damn good sports writer. He dug, he dug out something from Bob Gibson, the great cardinal pitcher, and I've just never forgotten. I think it was from, from Tim McCarver. McCarver was catching Gibson. Gibson was in trouble. The bases were loaded. Nobody out. McCarver, his catcher, comes out to the mound to consult with his pitcher. He takes off his mask. Gibson says, Get off the mound. You don't know anything about this. It, was, it wasn't in any way an insult to McCarver, and it was indeed true. Only Gibson, only pitchers, knew something about the situation. From within. Get off the mound. You don't know anything about this, said Gibson to his own catcher, who retreated. McCarver's no dummy. In any event, uh, Roger Angel wrote something so wonderful about box scores, I'd like to share a little of it with you. Today, the Times reported the arrival of the first pitchers and catchers at the spring training camps, and the morning was abruptly brightened as if by the delivery of a seed catalog. The view from my city window still yields only frozen tundras of trash, but now spring is guaranteed, and one of my favorite urban flowers, the baseball box score, will burgeon and flourish through the warm, languid, information-packed weeks and months just ahead. I can remember a spring not too many years ago when a prolonged New York newspaper strike threatened to extend itself into the baseball season. And my obsessively fanish mind tried to contemplate the desert prospect of a summer without daily box scores. The thought was impossible. It was like trying to think about infinity. Had I been deprived of those tiny lists of, of sporting personae and accompanying columns of runs batted in, strikeouts, double plays, assists, earned runs, and the like, all served up in, in neat three-inch packages from Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, Baltimore, Houston, and points east and west, only the most aggressive kind of blind faith would have convinced me that the season had begun at all, or that its distant, invisible events had any more reality than the silent collision of molecules. This year, thank heaven, no such crisis of belief impends. Summer will be admitted to our breakfast table as usual, and in the space of a half a, a, half a cup of coffee, I'll be able to discover, say, that, that Ferguson Jenkins... Uh, went to eight innings in Montreal and won his fourth game of the season while giving up five hits, that Al Kaline was horse-collared by Fritz Peterson at the stadium, and that Tony Oliva hit a double and a single off Mickey Lolich in Detroit, that Juan Marichal was bombed by the Reds in the top of the sixth at Candlestick Park, and that similar disasters and triumphs befell a couple of dozen odd of the other ball players, favorites and knaves whose fortunes I follow from April to October. 
The box score being modestly arcane is a matter of intense indifference, if not irritation, to the non-fan. To the baseball bitten, it is not only informative, pictorial, and gossipy, but lovely in aesthetic structure. It represents happenstance and physical flight exactly translated into figures and history. Its totals, batter's credit versus pitcher's debit, balance as exactly as those in an accountant's ledger. And a box score is more than a capsule archive. It is a precisely etched miniature of the sport itself. For baseball, in spite of its grassy spaciousness and apparent unpredictability, is the most intensely and satisfyingly mathematical of all outdoor sports. Every player in every game is subjected to a cold and ceaseless accounting. No ball is thrown and no base is gained without an instant responding judgment, ball or strike, hit or error, yay or nay, and an ensuing statistic. This encompassing neatness permits the baseball fan aided by experience and memory, to extract from a box score the same joy, the same hallucinatory reality that prickles the scalp of a musician when he glances at a page of his score of Don Giovanni and actually hears bassos and sopranos, woodwinds and violins. Roger Angel. On Box Scores. WNEW New York. Introducing the chairman of the board, Mario Perillo, for Perillo Tours. I have cruised the world to find the very best, and now Club Perillo cruises the Caribbean on the best, the Costa Riviera. She's all deluxe with proud Italian registry, and one low price covers airfare, the best cabins, shore excursions, unlimited wines, port taxes, everything, even the tips. With Club Perillo, save a fortune cruise as a millionaire, and leave your wallet home. Perillo, the best in cruising, and the best to Italy and the Bahamas. For a free Perillo brochure, see your travel agent, or call Perillo toll-free right now at 1-800-854-4000. That's 1-800-854-4000. A Perillo vacation is the best travel bargain in America. So call now, 1-800-854-4000. I don't know where you were, but I was lying down on my stomach in a room in the California desert with the curtains drawn and the television off, unable to watch. Only the radio. A quiet whisper in the corner. My head rested on my forearms. I lay motionless. The Angels took a 5-2 to two lead into the ninth. Bill Buckner led off with a single, and with one out, it was Don Baylor at the plate. The pitch, there's a drive into left center field. Back goes Pettis, back to the fence, he leaps, and it is gone for a home run. Baylor has hit one out to left center field. A home run for Don Baylor. And it is California five and Boston four. Witt got Evans to pop up for the second out, but then Gene Mock pulled his ace so left-hander Gary Lucas could face Gedman. Lucas threw just one pitch. The set, the pitch. Hit him! He is hit by the pitch, and Gedman will go to first base. Right-hander Donnie Moore then came on to pitch to Henderson, who batted just 51 times for the Red Sox since being acquired from Seattle with Spike Owen in mid-August. The count went to two and two. 
And I don't know where you were, but I was lying down on my stomach in a room in the California desert with the curtains drawn and the television off, unable to watch. Only the radio. A quiet whisper in the corner. My head rested on my forearms. I lay motionless. The Angels took a 5-2 to two lead into the ninth. Bill Buckner led off with a single, and with one out, it was Don Baylor at the plate. The pitch, there's a drive into left center field. Back goes Pettis, back to the fence. He leaps, and it is gone for a home run. Baylor has hit one out to left center field. A home run for Don Baylor. And it is California 5 and Boston 4. Witt got Evans to pop up for the second out. But then Gene Mock pulled his ace so left-hander Gary Lucas could face Gedman. Lucas threw just one pitch. The set. The pitch. Get him! He is hit by the pitch. And Gedman will go to first base. Right-hander Donnie Moore then came on to pitch to Henderson, who batted just 51 times for the Red Sox since being acquired from Seattle with Spike Owen in mid-August. The count went to two and two. And with the Red Sox down to their last strike of the year, security guards were poised in the dugouts as Moore prepared to throw a forkball. Here's the pitch. There's a fly ball to left field. Downing is going back, back, back. It's gone! It is gone! Dave Henderson has homered. And the Boston Red Sox Taking the lead. But the most dramatic Red Sox home run since Carlton Fisk's in Game 6 of the 1975 World Series wasn't quite enough. The Angels tied the score in the last of the ninth and had the bases loaded with one out. Steve Crawford saved the day and the pennant by retiring both DeSensei and Gritch. With two out in the tenth, Pettis, the Angels' leading hitter in the series, gave the Red Sox another scare. Goes into the motion, the pause, the payoff pitch, swung on a drive to left field and deep, right going back, back to the fence, up against the fence, he makes the catch for the out! And we'll go to the 11th inning, oh, was that close! Then in the 11th, Baylor resorted to his specialty by getting hit by a pitch. Evans singled and Gedman Bunning got a surprise hit to load the bases with nobody out, and who came up but Henderson? Moore throws. Henderson lines one into center field. Pettis goes back. He makes the catch. Baylor tags, and he's home. And Boston has the lead, 7-6. Giraldi then closed the door in the last of the 11th. Downing moving the bat back and forth. Giraldi winds. He throws. And it is popped up down the first base side. Stapleton in. He's got it! And the Red Sox have won it! And we'll be back in Boston on Tuesday night. One of the most incredible victories in the history of the Boston Red Sox. 7-6 over the California Angels. On the other hand, Here's the windup, the 0-1, swung on, there's a fly ball, deep left field, way back it goes, and it is gone, a home run, deja vu, Dave Henderson strikes again, the Red Sox have taken a 4-3 lead on Dave Henderson.
Hutchins, home run leading off the 10th. Barrett singled home Boggs, and it was 5-3 Boston. Giraldi retired the first two men in the last of the 10th, and the Red Sox were one out away. The Shea Stadium message board prematurely flashed, congratulations, Red Sox. But Gary Carter singled. So did Kevin Mitchell and Ray Knight, and it was 5-4 Boston, with runners at first and third, and Bob Stanley pitching to Mookie Wilson. The Red Sox were one strike away as the count went to two and two. Stanley ready. He throws, and the pitch is inside. It gets away from Gedman, and the tying run is home. The tying run scores, and down to second base goes Knight. It was ruled a wild pitch, Stanley's first of the entire season. Then the focus shifted to Bill Buckner. The pitch, ground ball to first base. Buckner, it goes by him, and here comes the winning run. The Mets have won it, six to five on a ground ball to Buckner that went through him.
than dress up fancy, clean and bright from shirt to shoes. Mama keeps everything clean, bright and dandy. There's brand new magic in the Clorox tube. New Clorox Two Color Safe bleach has a new enzyme formula to get clothes cleaner. Enzymes clean better. Stains hardly stand a chance. Clothes stay bright and pretty. There's brand new magic. Twenty years, a wonderful American phenomenon has developed, and that is the team record, the team disc, the long-playing album, highlights from the year, the championship year, the championship years, the championship week, the championship strike. Taken off the air, they're wonderful. Sometimes they're set to poetry. They're they're always narrated by the uh, the home announcer. In this case, Jack Brickhouse of the Chicago Cubs. I've got to play this for you. And the, the Cubs record is, is just 180 degrees from the intention of the conceit. The Cubs lose. And it's acknowledged on the record. There's no mighty moment. And uh, as such, the record becomes hilarious for all of its good intentions. Listen. The Cubs on again, off again, late season charge keeps them in the pennant pack. September 12th, in a crucial Cubs-Pittsburgh showdown, shades of 1969, Stargell at bat. He goes after the first pitch and he hits a shot high and deep to right center field. Look out. It's gone. Home run. Hickman's homer in the night makes it close, but the Cubs still lose. September 13th, two outs in the ninth, the Cubs trailing. And an easy pop fly is about to right finish for Chicago in 70. There's the swing and a high fly ball. This game is going to be over. Coming in is Matty Alou. Coming on. Coming on. He reaches out. He drops the ball. Quinn carrying it in. And the Cubs get a break. Willie Smith reaches second base. And Matty Alou with a high fly ball. Started in rather slowly. And then with the wind pushing it in. Tried to put out a burst of speed. Lou. Yes, it can with Kessinger here. Both flash, and Seguin was jumping up, thinking they had the third out. But when I looked up, Matty Alou was really playing very deep for Willie Smith with that wind blowing it in. So here could be a break for the Cubs. Let's hope we can take advantage of this opportunity. In fact, this could change the entire complex of the rest of this season. The Cubs are quick to capitalize on the break and win the game, but their momentum stops right there. Instead of demoralizing the Pirates, the error becomes a rallying point around which Pittsburgh builds a drive that takes them to the division title. So the Cubs bid for a pennant fall short for the second year in a row. But as they say, that's baseball. You win some, you lose some. The Cubs know. They've run the gamut. They've won 10 pennants in the 20th century. They've finished last, too. But they always come back. The Chicago Cubs. Pop Anson, Frank Chance, Johnny Evers, Joe Tinker, Rube Waddell, Rogers Hornsby, Grover Cleveland Alexander, Gabby Hartman, Mordecai Brown, Bill Lee, Larry French, Ron Warnicky, Tex Carlton, Vern Olson, Hank Barrowe, Johnny Schmidt, Clay Bryant, Bob Rush, Emil Kush, Ed Hanazuski, Charlie Root, Larry Jackson, Dick Ellsworth, Dutch Leonard, Dizzy Dean, Chuck Klein, Rig Stevenson, Kai Kai Kyler, 
Pac Wilson, Frank Demery, Joe Marty, Augie Galland, Bill Cavaretta, Peanuts Lowry, Betty Wakefish, Rip Collins, Billy Herndon, Stan Hatt, Billy Jurgis, Roy Small, Andy Pafko, Frank Bombos, Woody English, Bob Sheffney, Freddie Lindstrom, Kenny Hubbs, and hundreds more. The Chicago Cubs, with a rich heritage built on a tradition as old as organized baseball itself. Another championship can't be too far away for our own wild, wonderful, and unforgettable Chicago Cubs. When you have to enlist the 20th century, you're in trouble. These guys making this record, didn't they see what they had? Didn't they see the comic element? They said, are we making a record or are we making a record? Years ago, when the film of Joseph Heller's novel Catch-22 was, was being made, there was an interview with the guys making the movie. And they were so sure they had a big hit. I think Mike Nichols was associated with it. I think he was the director. Some other people. And uh, a shrewd interviewer came out and caught somebody saying, are we making a movie or are we making a movie? Well, it turns out they weren't. I mean, it was just a, a calamity. And here are these guys. I can just see them in the process of editing this record and putting it together. Are we making a record or are we making a record? And it's this, uh, this, this wonderfully goofy Chicago Cub record that, that's counterproductive to the Cubs' cause out there in the world. If it lands in my hands, and I have a microphone here. WNEW in New York. You know, it'd be fun. This is the last game of what I believe to be is the 1938 season, so it's an early radio broadcast. It's just a totally innocuous game being played before maybe 3,000 people. The Washington Senators and the Cleveland Indians. What distinguishes this broadcast is that the is the identity of the announcer, Walter Johnson. Four o'clock, the correct time, at WJSB, Washington. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Harry McTighe speaking to you from our radio booth at Top Griffith Stadium, where this afternoon, for the remainder of the afternoon, we're going to bring you a play-by-play -play broadcast of the final game of the season between the Cleveland Indians and the Washington Senators. The first half of the fourth inning just concluded. There's no score in the ball game. And before the last half of the fourth inning gets underway, we're going to give you the lineups and then turn you over to your Wheaties play-by-play -play announcer, Walter Johnson. The lineup for the Cleveland Indians finds Lou Boudreau at shortstop, Roy Weatherly in left field, then Chapman in center field, Sammy Hale at second base, Bruce Campbell in right field, Ken Keltner at third base, Oscar Grimes at first base, Raleigh Hensley catch, and Al Milner, a left-hander on the mound. The lineup for Washington, Eddie Lee at second base, Quick at shortstop, Pitko, right field, right, left field, Gelbert, third base, Vernon, first base, Gideon, center field, Farrell, catch, and Bass, a right-hander on the mound. Bass is up from Chattanooga, the Southern Association, with the Senators, and down there he won about 19 ball games and lost seven. We've seen only three hits in the ball game, Cleveland having two, a single by Lou Boudreau in the first inning and a single by Raleigh Hensley in the second. Washington has only one base hit, 
that an infield hit by Eddie Lee. End of the last half of the fourth inning, and Pitko, the right fielder, right-hand batter's coming up, and here is Walter Johnson. All right, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We're going into the last of the fourth. No score in this ball game. Pitko, the right fielder's up, bats right-handed. Here comes the first pitch. He swings and fouls it back. Pitko walked his first time up. Al Melnar, left-hander, pitching out there for the Cleveland Indians, is allowed... Only one hit an infield single. Here comes the next pitch. It's a fastball. It's outside. That is the voice of Walter Johnson, the great Walter Johnson. He's allowed one single and one more. The station obviously joined the game in midstream at 4 o'clock. Two hits and five walks. A little bit wide. My guess is because they covered the Redskin, the Red, Washington Redskin game. It was played earlier in the day. Wouldn't that be your guess? Kicking on that. On the sports station in Washington? It's two and one on. Let's listen to this batter. Pitko. Here comes the next pitch. And it's high and inside. Green one's a count now. Loner starts his wind up again. Here it comes. He swings and misses. Pitko had a good cut at that ball, but missed. And the count three and two. Half the fourth, nobody out, nobody on. Here comes the next pitch. He swings, hit the fly, going into right field. Bruce Camel is coming over there. He's under it, waiting. And he's out. Hit cold. Flies out. A small little gathering. In the shadows of autumn, Griffith Stadium. I forgot that Boudreaux extended way back into the late 30s, but he sure did. He certainly extended into 1948, didn't he? That playoff game at Fenway. And hit two home runs that day. Cleveland won it 8-3. WNEW in New York. Here's a wonderful song about baseball. Written and sung by my friend, the bass player and songwriter, Jay Lenhart. Gently over breakfast She told me as we sipped our tea I sat there dumbfounded At what she was telling me How come this subject never came up How come this subject stayed concealed The woman who I married Dodgers play at Ebbets Field. You must understand that as a boy from Maryland, I never saw no major league teams. To have sat beside her watching Reese and Cox and Snyder would have been the answer to my dreams. subject never came up how come this subject stayed concealed the woman who i sleep with saw the dodgers play at ebbetsfield i remember 
remember summer nights I'd turn off the bedroom lights and lay my little head down on the pillow Listen to the Dodger games, I knew all the Dodger names Guys like Reese and Cox and Carl Farillo How come this subject never came up? How come this subject stayed concealed?
everybody. This is Bob Murphy welcoming you to the first regular season game in the history of the New York Mets. Brought to you by Rheingold Extra Drive. Tonight, the New York Mets meet the St. Louis Cardinals right here in St. Louis. Lindsey Nelson, Ralph Kyra, and I are on hand to bring you every bit of the action. Yes, sir, the New York Mets are on the air in their first great season. This broadcast comes to you through the courtesy of Liebman Breweries, Brewer since 1837, and the Brown Williamson Tobacco Corporation, BMW, the mark of quality in tobacco products, and is authorized under radio rights granted by the New York Mets solely for the entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this game without the express written consent of the New York Mets is prohibited. Right now, Casey Stingle, Johnny Keene, and the four umpires are getting together at home plate for the last-minute check. For the New York Mets, manager Casey Stingle will have Richie Ashburn in center field leading off. Felix Mantilla will be at shortstop, batting second. Charlie Neal at second base, batting third. Frank Thomas in right field, batting cleanup. Gus Bell in right field, batting fifth. Gil Hodges playing first base, batting sixth. Don Zimmer will be at third base, batting seventh. Hobie Landreth behind the plate. Hobie will bat eighth. Pitching and batting ninth, veteran right-hander Roger Craig. For the St. Louis Cardinals, and they feel they have a team that will be a strong contender for the National League pennant. Kurt Flood will be in center field leading off. Julian Javier at second base, batting second. Bill White will be at first base, batting third. In right field, batting cleanup, Stan the Man Musial. Ken Boyer will be at third base, hitting fifth. Minnie Minoso in left field, batting sixth. Gene Oliver catching and batting seventh. Julio Gotay, G-O-T-A-Y. Gotay will be at short, batting eighth. Pitching and batting ninth, Larry Jackson. Tom Gorman from Long Island will umpire behind the plate. Big Bill Tchaikovsky from North Walpole, New Hampshire will call the plays around first. Ed Sudol will be at second. And Al Foreman will be at third. The skies are mostly cloudy. The temperature in the high 40s. The wind right now has subsided and is not really a factor in the ball game. Well, we are about to be witnesses to history in the making right here in St. Louis as the New York Mets become a reality. From the dreams and the planning boards, from the works that were required to put the ball club together, from the long work in spring training, everything now bursts on the scene and becomes a reality. And the National League now is back in New York after an absence of four years. Managed by Casey Stingle, with George Weiss running the front office, a veteran coaching staff of Sally Hemus, Cookie Lavagetto, Rogers Hornsby, Red Ruffing, and Red Crest. And a starting team tonight that is truly a veteran ball club. This, incidentally, with the exception of Roger Craig, is the exact personnel.
1988 Boston Red Sox spring training schedule. Friday the 4th of March. Detroit at Lakeland. Saturday the 5th of March. The White Sox at Winter Haven. Sunday the 6th. The Mets at Winter Haven. Monday the 7th. Cincinnati at Winter Haven. Tuesday, March 8th, Kansas City at Baseball City. Wednesday, March 9th, the Chicago White Sox at Sarasota. Thursday, March 10th, the Minnesota Twins at Orlando. Friday, March the 11th, Detroit at Winter Haven. Saturday the 12th, the Houston Astros at Winter Haven. Sunday the 13th, the Baltimore Orioles, Miami, Florida. Monday the 14th, the Los Angeles Dodgers at Vero Beach. Tuesday, March 15th, the Kansas City Royals at Winter Haven. Wednesday, March 16th, the Minnesota Twins at Winter Haven. Thursday, March 17th, the Cincinnati Reds at Plant Confident of win for Contra Aid, Democrats confident they'll defeat it. Mutual News, I'm Kirk Henshin in Washington. Later this week, House and Senate will vote on the issue of aid for the Nicaraguan Contras. And Congressman Thomas Foley of Washington, the House Majority Leader, thinks Contra Aid is history. We're going to have enough votes to defeat Contra Aid. I don't see it as beating the president. I think it's more in line with the Congress asserting support for the peace process in Central America. Foley appeared on NBC's Meet the Press. The White House is equally confident it will prevail and new aid for the Contras will be approved. The White House says only pressure from the Contras has moved the Sandinista government in Nicaragua toward democracy. Secretary of State George Shultz. It seems unbelievable that we're even debating the idea that we would pull a rug out from under a successful strategy just when it's clearly working. Schultz appeared on ABC's This Week program. The president plans a new appeal for the Contra Aid package on Tuesday, the day before the House plans to vote on the $36 million package. More news in a moment. Okay.